Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 127. This episode is with physio and sports performance coach Chris Bowman. Chris came on to talk about his career so far, what led to him going over to Dubai and setting up his own business. He spoke about the evolving overseas market over there. He also spoke about his approach to off-season programming. And then he, he took some of our listener questions as well, which included some of the testing and monitoring protocols that he has in place for players and teams. And then also his philosophy around strength and power work with players. It was great to talk with Chris. I've followed his work for quite a while now, but I didn't actually know the story behind what led to him going out there, whether it was a personal thing in terms of the move or whether it was a, a business decision. So he, did, he talks about that in the episode and it's really interesting. So a big thank you to Chris for giving up his time. I want to hear from you guys as well. So I do encourage uh, listeners to get in touch because I want to hear about some of the podcasts that you've taken the most from. So whether that's a, a specific guest or maybe some of the topics that we've covered. So please get in touch. You can drop me an email, mail at footballfitfed.com or you can DM us on social media. We're at footballfitfed on both Twitter and Instagram or you can drop us a message on LinkedIn as well. But I really want to hear back about what you've taken the most from episodes you've enjoyed, maybe some of the guests that you've taken the most from, just so it gives us a good idea on how we can um, focus with the next few episodes and guests going forward. I'd really like to hear from you. If you've not already done so, please take two minutes, head over to iTunes and leave us a review because that just helps to improve the popularity of the podcast and I really would appreciate you doing that. And just finally, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast as well so every week when we upload a brand new episode, it goes straight into your inbox. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and also go over to our YouTube page as well because if you only listen to the podcast, we do upload the video version of the podcast every week over on the YouTube channel. So just search Football Fitness Federation. But thank you again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate all your support. And here is episode 127 with Chris Bowman. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 127. I am delighted today to be joined by Chris Bowman, physio and sports performance coach based in Dubai. Chris, thank you very much for coming on. No problem. Privilege. Like I said, uh, just off off camera before i've listened to the podcast for a long time so it's great to be on it awesome mate and we just had a bit of a, a weird coincidence that found out we're pretty much originally from the same place which is pretty scary a few years apart i've got to say and we won't we won't say who's older yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no thank you very much for coming on mate i've obviously followed your work and um seen your journey um but i'm also intrigued to sort of dive into your career as a whole so do you want to just kick us off and just take us back to your career take us through it and up to what you're currently doing yeah yeah no problem yeah so uh started out as academy physio actually at mansfield town straight from university um and a weird chain of events occurred that led me to being head physio within about six months i think from graduating um which obviously is not a common place thing as, as somebody who's 22 years old um, being head physio in the football league um, but it was a great learning curve great experience um, often learning by mistakes really um, and then 
after a year, moved on to Bolton Wanderers. A job came up at Bolton Wanderers. Obviously, they were training literally 100 yards from my mum's uh, house, uh, which you obviously know the area well. Um, so we were over there in Exton. It just seemed to fit at the time. I felt like I needed some support at that point in my career, um, some, some daily mentorship. Uh, so I went over to Bolton, was um, head academy physio there, and then within a year moved up to the first team. Um, it was obviously a difficult time at, at that point with well-documented financial issues going on. Um, we got relegated. You know, sadly, the chairman passed away. So there was a lot of instability. Um, but again, great experience. Um, being in that first team environment was something I probably felt a bit more comfortable with, um, I would say, rather than, than working in the academy environment and something I always wanted to do. Um, so uh, that was great. And it also introduced me to a number of people that have, have you know, had a big influence on my career moving forward as well. Um, due to the financial issues, an opportunity came up at Cambridge United to take the head physio role. Um, so I went down there, um, which was a, a really good time, actually. I really enjoyed the autonomy of the, the job and, you know, putting my, putting my spin on the department and, and I'd like to think taking the department to, to another level, um, still stay in touch with, with Matt Walker there, who's the head of performance. Um, and then my old head physio from Bolton had actually gone in as head of uh, sports science and medicine at Leeds, Steve Megson, um, who was someone that, you know, had taught me a lot in our time at Bolton, who stayed in contact and mentored me through the Cambridge experience as, as a head physio. Um, and the opportunity came to go to Leeds United, which obviously is a huge, huge football club and, um, the takeover with Andrea Ravizani had just happened. There was aspirations of us getting back to the Premier League, which obviously has now happened. Um, so yeah, went to went to Leeds under Steve, um, which was which was great. And and the pull of working again daily with Steve and and, and developing my armory was was a big big one. Um, but in the background, obviously, when I was at Cambridge, I'd already started to to put the seeds of this Dubai project um, together. So, you know, that, that just furthered during my time at Leeds. And, and it was just something where I got to a point uh, after that one season where I felt like it was a do or die moment really in, in making the move here. Um, so that's pretty much me to, to date. And in terms of that, you said about um, sort of getting things together when you're at Cambridge, what initially, led to the idea of the move? Was that more personal or was it more um, business? It was more business, um, to be honest. So it wasn't like I ever thought, you know, I've got this dying ambition to move to Dubai and be in the sun. It was very much a case of I'd seen a number of players since back in my Bolton days where, you know, long-term injuries would be given a week off or two weeks off to go away and refresh mentally. Um, and they would often come to Dubai nine times out of 10, you know, with the flight, the flight times not being too bad. And, um, you know, it's got everything here really that, that a footballer could want. Um, so they would often come here, you give them the programme, but then your outcome measures would, would go back um, and regress. And it was just a thought that 
you know, that economically for football clubs doesn't make any sense um, to have a player that, that goes back two weeks in their outcome measures as a result of a one-week holiday. Um, and I'd also seen a lot on, you know, social media was very prominent at that point as well. Um, and I'd seen a lot of bad stuff on uh, on Instagram, players in international breaks working with coaches and doing things that just, you know, if you sat there in a, in a performance department, you're probably tearing your hair out at, at what you're seeing. So I always felt like there was a huge gap in the market for somebody to be here who had football experience, who had relationships within the game and who could offer a transparent and more importantly, safe service. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would say that those two things are, have always been and, and still remain um, key pillars of our, of our business that we want to be transparent with clubs, which is why we now get the trust and referrals. Um, and, and also, you know, we want to be safe with, with players because we want, we want them to go back to the clubs having had a good experience and the club also having had a good experience. That's a really important point though you've made there, or a few points in terms of um, knowing the game and knowing the game from a club's point of view as well, isn't it? Like you having been a head physio at a number of different clubs and held those roles and worked with players and probably had players go and work with private practitioners as well. You sort of seen that side as well, but then also the relationships, because it sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, moving out to Dubai, setting up a business, working with players, but there's a lot more to it than that. Um, yeah. And I know, obviously, you, you'll know that, but if people are thinking about setting up themselves, and I know you see a bit of a trend of it like right now that people in clubs like setting up, and that's it's good to see, but it's got to be done in the right way, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. And, you know, I've mentioned that the, the project went way back to the Cambridge days, and, and a lot of the stuff was you know, trying to organise where I'm going to work from. Does it have the right setup and the right feel for a footballer? Um, and, you know, as much as what equipment have you got in, in the gym, uh, for example, for rehab and, and for, you know, your conditioning stuff. Um, and then also actually going out and directly speaking to as many people as, a, as I can um, in the game. You know, people who I hadn't maybe met before, but I'd managed to get a phone number or a contact of and, um, you know, just asking them, this is what I'm seeing. There's a trend of players that do go to Dubai. Do you A, give your players time off during long-term injuries? And B, if you do, would this be of interest if I can go there and be a be a kind of, you know, an, an additional member of staff for you, really, um, that you that you can you can send to and refer to? And, um, you know, we, we managed to get Health Partners Europe on board, which is obviously the main insurance provider for the clubs as well, which was another kind of um, tick box really for clubs because they knew that it wasn't going to be an additional cost. They could claim it on their medical insurance policy. And, and also, it, you know, it offers credibility as well. If, if health partners are willing to, to back us in what we're doing, then, you know, it, it shows that, that there's a good credibility to it. 100%. So do you want to give a little bit of an outline about what the business looks like now, Chris? Because I know we just had a little chat about it before we started recording, but just I'm sure a lot of people have seen you working with players over there and seen some of the work you do, but I don't know how much they'll know about the sort of business and, and what it's structured like. So do you want to give a little outline on that? Yeah. So to be honest, like um, I guess most businesses now three years down the line, it, it's completely evolved from probably what I originally thought it would be. Um, obviously when I first came out here, it was a case of 
working with as many footballers as possible from overseas and coming in for rehab, et cetera, which is one arm of our business. Um, off the back of that now, we've pretty much established ourselves as the go-to here in Dubai for the Arabian Gulf League players. So we've got 30 or so players that come and work with us each week. Um, there seems to be a gap in terms of the strength um, component of their training uh, here in, in the clubs um, and even kind of match day minus one, minus two or match day plus one, uh, plus two recovery protocols. So we're, we're trying to establish ourselves as the best in class here in the UAE for that sort of stuff. Um, recently, we've brought two guys on board in the last year. Um, Jamie, who has a background, he was at Exeter City um, before he moved to Dubai working in the academy. So he heads our long-term athletic development program. Um, so we, we're, we're making good inroads into local academies. Um, we've got a, an overseeing relationship with one of the better funded academies, Dubai City FC, um, who actually a couple of the coaches were at Bolton with me in the academy. So that was a, a nice, easy um, kind of in for us. So we oversee their entire strength and conditioning philosophy for about 600 kids um, there. And then uh, we brought another guy, Chris, on board, who is an elite runner himself. Uh, so he runs a running performance while strength and conditioning for runners, uh, which is obviously a, a large uh, gap again in the market. Runners like to run, but they don't really like to do any gym work <laughs> to keep them injury free. So Chris kind of uh, takes control of that thing. But both those guys help supplement the work I do if, if we've got a number of players in. Obviously, Jamie and his football conditioning background can step in. Chris can work on some more speed and acceleration stuff and look at, you know, running gait and trying to, you know, improve stride length and all that sort of stuff with players and some of the drills he does. Um, and then now we're at a stage where we're looking to recruit a couple more staff as well. We've just um, had an, uh, an application process that closed yesterday. Uh, somebody to work directly alongside me with a more of a rehab focus and then somebody uh, with a strength and conditioning background that will, again, help support, you know, on a weekly basis, the golf league uh, players that we've got. And then, obviously, we're coming up to the off-season as well. So we anticipate needing more staff because um, the last couple of off-season programmes we've done, six-week blocks, have, have been highly popular. So, yeah. Yeah, and we'll go into that in a second because I'm, I'm intrigued to hear about the, the sort of structure of that off-season period. But I was going to ask as well, when you're setting the business up and you've got that idea and you've sort of seen the trend of players going over to Dubai, did it did it come into your mind that you were going to attract so many of the local players as well? Yeah, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, it, it completely wasn't even a, a thought, to be honest. Um, but within about three weeks of being here, I was introduced to the, the national team uh, centre-back who you know, wanted to do a little bit extra and ended up coming in. And, and kind of then at that point, he'd actually just come back from an a, a torn ACL. And on the kind of initial assessment, I was thinking this, you know, it's no wonder you're still getting a bit of anterior knee pain. It's not really where it should be. Quad bulk was, was significantly down. So um, kind of then delved a little bit deeper into, you know, what sort of stuff were they doing in the gym? Were they doing regular strength training? Um, and then I was actually very fortunate as well in, in some respects because I was out supporting 
my friend's got a very similar project in Mykonos that works with a lot of players, Mykonos Performance. And um, obviously, I didn't have a local client base uh, in that first year. We'd had a great off-season period. He was still getting a lot of high-profile players over there in Mykonos after the 2018 World Cup. So I went out there to help him, um, just lend him a hand kind of thing. And he actually, uh, he actually injured his knee on the first day and couldn't then really lead the sessions. Oh. Um, and at that point, we, we had Robert Lewandowski with us. So obviously, you know, ridiculous um, kind of situation that, that within that period, I was training somebody who's just won the Ballon d'Or. Um, but obviously, the profile that attracts was, was very good. So a guy got in touch with me, Igor Coronado, after that, who had just moved to um, a team here in the UAE, Sharjah. Um, Igor's background, he was at MK Dons in the academy up until uh, kind of first year pro and then got released from the system, played a bit of lower league, went off over to Italy because he's Brazilian background, did very well in Italy and then he got a move here and um, he got in touch with me. So I started working with Igor and he was just flying all season. So he's now over the last three years, you know, head and shoulders, the best player in the league. Um, and in that year as well, Sharjah actually won the league for the first time in 27 years. So, and he brought in the other Brazilian guys and, and it just snowballed from there. So, yeah, like I say, the, there was a lot of fortune around that UAE market. Um, but ultimately, at the same time, I guess you've, You've got to have satisfied customers that want to refer you to other people. So, you know, I do take that as a compliment that we've ended up with so many because if we weren't doing the right things, then we, we wouldn't have any. Yeah. And that's why, why I said before that the idea is great, isn't it? Well, then carrying out that idea and being effective and, and achieving results for people is a, a different thing. And then the other side of it is building a business that's scalable and effective, isn't it, as well? Because obviously you, there's only one of you and if you're getting busy yeah. and busier all the time and you've just talked about how it's grown already I was going to ask as well where do you see this going like where do you see the the business growing to or is that something that you're just going to leave open and and um sort of adapt as as you need to yeah so I mean we're looking at opening a second site within the Jumeirah complex already um that we're hoping will be in uh play by the off-season that'll be more of a rehab focus to it. Um, and within that facility, there's actually an altitude chamber as well. So we can recommission that and, and utilize that, especially for kind of the off season stuff or even rehab um, when we've got a player over and use those conditions. And importantly in the, uh, you know, in the summer months here, end of July, August, you know, it, it's so intense out there on the grass that, um, that having that facility would be a real bonus yeah. Um, for us to, to use um, and then I mean we do want to we do want to branch out into other countries you know the market in Saudi is an interesting one for us we've got our, our eyes on Abu Dhabi a little bit because it's about an hour and a half drive from Dubai at the minute well an hour and a half drive and then um, we've got a number of players that make that make that journey but at the moment they can only maybe come once every two weeks whereas if we have a presence there it's something where we can actually work with them, you know, two times a week, like I said, game day minus two and game day plus one. Um, and and it, it would make sense for us to probably have a presence there. Um, and then we're very open-minded. I mean, I think the pandemic at the minute is kind of uh, something we need to just be mindful of and 
you know, not, not run before you can walk kind of thing. Yeah, of course, definitely. Now, in the off-season, and I know we, we've seen it the last few years, um, or I've certainly seen it on, on your social media, you see a number of players going over to work with yourself. Um, and I know we've talked about where they've come from. They've got, come from contacts and growing that network and reaching out to people and doing good work, essentially, as well. What's the approach you're taking with these players? So when they're coming in the off-season, and, and we've got a few questions sent in as well, so we'll tackle those in a little bit. But I just wanted to know like your approach with those players going into whether it be a sort of two-week block, four-week block, six-week block, or whatever you've got with that player. Yeah, yeah. So I think initially, obviously, that subjective assessment with the player or the club is very important. So like I said, transparency is key. So we need to know, has this player had injury issues? <clears throat> um you know, what is their reason for training? We've got players who've been with us who are due to go on international duty in a week's time. Um, we've got players who maybe have been involved in playoffs and they're coming at the back end of a really long season. So that ultimately influences what we do with them. Um, and then also the, the kind of timing of when they are here. So if they are here mid-May to late May in that first couple of weeks of the off-season realistically we don't really want to be running them too much up and down the you know the past the burge and, and all that sort of stuff um you know it is very much more of an injury prevention and a strength focus at that phase the following kind of couple of weeks at the start of june will be a bit of a mix of some aerobic work plus the the strength and then as we get more towards um the the kind of return to uh to to the training then we're looking at that aerobic conditioning, building a solid aerobic base. Um, again, injury prevention work, if they've got any ongoing issues. Um, we need to find out, you know, what the player has been doing as well over the course of that six weeks, you know, where they're at. Because ultimately, if someone's just been putting their feet up for four weeks, as opposed to somebody who's been training intensely for four weeks, it, it's a very different um, athlete that we're dealing with. So um, that's, that's kind of our approach, I would say. Um, to it and then also it depends how many sessions the guys want to take I mean the majority of players when they come probably take four sessions five sessions throughout a seven day period um, but there are players that stay for a longer period of time we, you know we've had Stephen Taylor ex-Newcastle with us the last couple of years and he's been here for like three weeks at a time and wants double sessions and, and things or we've had other, other players that have been here sent for rehab for two weeks so you know if we've got enough time then we can obviously put more of a your standard program together that that is influenced by us with a four or five session kind of training block realistically it needs to be guided by the stuff they've already been doing um so that's where that transparency and the communication with the club comes in you know very very uh high level of importance on that yeah, and we, we have spoke about that before. I remember speaking to Shane Murphy about that, um, about that sort of communication between yourself like as a practitioner and the club. What is it, um, do you face any challenges with that in terms of uh, linking up with clubs and, and coaches? And then also, what what is it generally they expect from you? Are you giving reports or anything like that? Or is it just simply like a conversation? Um, again, it varies, to be honest, practitioner to practitioner, club to club. Um, so the initial conversation will always be a case of 
do you want to send the program for the player or do you want me to program? And if you want me to program, is there certain things you don't want us to do? You know, things like axial load and, um, you know, maybe lay off the sand work because they've had this, this and this injury in the past. Um, so that's, that's the, the first kind of um, conversation. And then, sorry, just repeat the question there. Yeah, I just said about linking with clubs. So in terms of how easy it is to communicate with clubs, but then also in terms of reporting back. So is it simply a conversation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you've answered that bit. It yeah, yeah. does depend on the club. Yeah, yeah, it depends on the club. And, and, and you know, some, some practitioners want you to call them every day. Others are happy to get a report at the end of the week as much as a phone call. Others want a written report with, you know, all the data there. Um you know, we've got the stat sports unit, so we, we do have the physical metrics when we're out on the field in terms of, you know, the total distances ran, high intensity meters, sprint meters, access details. We've got that sort of stuff. Um, you know, we you know, obviously gym based things. We can we can tell them, you know, have we progressed lifts or, or not progressed lifts? So we can deliver that data if required, um, but often it'll just be in the form of a phone call, really. Um, yeah. Quite happy with that. And then I was going to ask Chris as well, when these players are coming out to see you, what's their general sort of feel on what they want to do? Are they coming out saying, right, I've got, I need to work on my speed. Are they coming out real specifics or are they coming out to say, right, I just need to work with you for this period and sort of leave it up to you in terms of what we do. And then obviously you can link in with the club. Uh, mostly the second, to be honest, mostly they're, they're very open to just kind of letting us guide the programme. Um, unless they've had a previous injury or, or an issue. But, um, you know, if they're getting ready for an international week of fixtures, then they, they just want kind of those game-specific movements, a bit of um, volume in the legs, a feel of the ball, um, you know, an, an hour of conditioning. Obviously, we've got the warm weather, so the heart rate response on that is through the roof. So, You'd like to think it's beneficial. Well, it, it's beneficial going into when they go back to the UK for those fixtures. Um, and the same, to be honest, in terms of the general off-season um, sort of thing. So a lot of the time, especially when you're kind of in week three and four, maybe the guys have done a little bit on the treadmill. Um, maybe they've been a bit slack on the diet or whatever in the first two weeks. And they just need something to kickstart that off-season programme. Um for them and, and to come here and work in the heat for an hour in the morning um, intensely, do some football specific running, have a feel of the ball. Obviously, we try and if a player wants individualized sessions, we will do that. But equally, we've found to, to work quite well with the, the small groups. So, you know, at times we've had kind of eight to 10 in a group. We'll always make sure we've got three or four practitioners on the field at, at that point. Um, but being in that group environment, they get a little bit more out of it rather than just going down kind of the local park or, you know, even just on the running tracks that are out here and just sticking the GPS on and trying to, trying to hit some high intensity meters. They, they actually have to get there because they're running against their pal from, you know, another club or, you know, often they'll book in together as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it, it works very well in terms of that dynamic. Because they're getting that team feel again, aren't they? Coming out and working within that team. And then obviously the other thing for you in terms of us, I'm guessing like any sort of contextual conditioning work is that you can use those other players then as well, can't you? Yeah, 
yeah, exactly, exactly. So the drills, the drills are able to become a little bit more specific rather than having a single player with mannequins or however it, however it's set up. Yeah, yeah, spot on, exactly, exactly. Awesome. Well, we've had we've had a couple. I put it out on social media, Chris, to get a couple of questions in, and there's been a couple sent in. So I'm going to start with this one. So and you, I think you did briefly touch on it before, but what testing do you use before working with an individual or a team? Yeah. Um, so it probably probably applies more to the team-based stuff. So like I mentioned, we've got that. Uh, we obviously the philosophy for the football club out here. Um, so the one we tend to use is a 1,200-metre uh, shuttle run, effectively, called the Brisbane run. So 20 metres back, 40 metres back, 60 metres back, repeat times five. Um, the theory on that being that you're measuring maximal aerobic speed. Um, the reason I like that one is it's pretty bang for buck and also there's a practical element to it. So when we go into our conditioning phase after getting that maximal aerobic speed score, um, we condition on 15 second linear runs basically. So we can actually then program at 100, 120, 140% of that player's maximal aerobic speed. So you can make it pretty specific. Um to that player so or even like subgroups sort of thing you know when the scores are, are close you might have five players that are, are running 90 meters in 15 seconds you might have another group of players that's running 94 meters in 15 seconds so um they're actually working at that maximum aerobic speed um and by doing that we've found you know very good then retest results um and and ultimately performance on the pitch as well and then what about in terms of any like movement quality stuff or if, if the players are coming yeah. over with, with injuries, like is there any yeah. doing in terms of testing and monitoring for those guys? Yeah, yeah. So we look at five rep max testing. We've got the handheld dynamometer for hamstrings. We do want to in, improve that. Um, I won't name the, the companies that we <laughs> were speaking <laughs> to. Um, but yeah, we obviously want to get kind of that sort of stuff in forced X and that comes into this second facility and, and trying to increase our service provision as well. Um, in terms of movement screens, we kind of have taken a bit from different, different things, to be honest. So we do a lot of work with the stick mobility protocols, um, which we, we really like. Um, we do a lot in terms of like BOSU and single leg balance dissociation. Can players do that? Uh, some stuff from the tightest TPI as well, because um, we, we have got a golf uh, element to our business. So, um, and then five rep max testing that I've, I've touched on anyway, be that single leg press or hex bar. Um, so we take, we take from different areas. There's not really a, we use a, an FMS or, yeah, yeah. Uh, or anything like that as such. And then obviously with my physio background, I'll do MSK uh, screening tests as required. So, you know, if players are coming in from an injury point of view, ACL or whatever, then I want to know what their quad bulk's like. I want to know what their prone knee bend is. I want to know what the Thomas test is, um, all that sort of stuff. Now, if you're a young practitioner looking to land your first role or even a practitioner at a club wanting to get the next role, maybe you're looking for a move, then you need to go and check out the latest webinar that we've uploaded to our online community. So Exos Performance Coach Matt Jones has delivered a superb webinar for us on creating opportunities. So he talks about a number of different things. He talks about supply versus demand. He talks about how to stand out in such a saturated market. 
He goes into detail on his sales funnel approach to creating opportunities. And then he also talks about how to structure your CV to give yourself the best possible chance of landing the job that you want. So if you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top and sign up there. You'll get a free month on our online community. So you get full access to Matt's webinar as well as plenty of other webinars and resources. After that free month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward and you'll get access, continued access to all the webinars that are currently on there and then we also have some brilliant webinars coming up as well. So go and check it out. Check out the latest webinar from Matt and all the information on there, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up there for your free month. Here's part two of the podcast with Chris Bowman. Awesome. And then another question, mate, is... um... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reword this a little bit, but what is your philosophy um, or your periodi- periodization philosophy around strength and power training in football? Yeah. Uh, so we try and go very unilateral with our approach, to be honest. Um, my theory on that is, you know, in football, you're very rarely caught square on or shouldn't be. So you're always in that split stance position. So... You know, we uh, we work a lot with Bulgarian split squats, single leg RDLs, um, all that sort of stuff. When um, we do have, obviously, like your hex bar lifts and, and compound lifts, uh, a common practice. Um, in terms of power, obviously, we're looking at rate of force produ- uh, production there. So we've got the Vertimax in, uh, which we use quite a lot to be honest, and we're often using that as part of our kind of game day minus uh, two stuff with the guys here. Um, so really looking at potentiation and stuff um, for those guys. Um, and then I think as well, we, obviously you've seen on Instagram, we use the sand quite a lot. So when it comes down to accelerations, decelerations, the the total work um, that that player's got to, exert when they're running at velocities in the sand is far higher than it is on a harder surface um, just because you've not got that same kind of ground contact time so um, so we, we do use the sand quite a lot when it comes down to the the, the speed and power work um, for your banded runs and stuff but on the sand um, which you know they don't they don't necessarily thank me for yeah that's interesting actually because I, I that's one area that I've know very little about mainly because we don't have much sand around here um yeah. but that is interesting so you would you treat that more as like a resisted like resisted sprint work for example with with that uh, impact it has on the player yeah 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 so that and then acceleration decelerations as well because ultimately in the sand obviously you're having to you you really have to look at what your loading patterns are so you've got a if you're working laterally change direction whatever you've really got to absorb that force and then propel out of um, out of the sand to be able to change from one direction to the other. So, you know, after the sessions, the guys are often saying, you know, the glutes are, glutes are really sore and, um, and that sort of stuff because they're having to actually utilize them and then, you know, force themselves into triple extension to, to get that 30 meter dash. That's interesting. Really interesting. And I know you said before as well, just sort of extending that question with the strength and power focus. You mentioned before about there being um, like a gap with the local players that they don't, I'm guessing that they don't really have much SNC support, but more in terms of the strength side. Is that, is that what you meant from that? That they weren't, 
they weren't sort of on any any strength programs and that's where you guys you, you sort of fill that gap yeah yeah i would say so and you know the reason for that i'm not really sure i think there's you know the beauty of being out here is is different cultures that you're exposed to so there's quite a heavy um there's quite a heavy brazilian culture actually within clubs out here in terms of their snc staff and my opinion is that they don't tend to favor the heavy lifts and stuff that is more common practice within our British culture. Um, so you quite often see that a few of these guys, you know, don't have a uh, huge amount, huge amounts of lean tissue. And, um, you know, so, so that's something that we try and put in place. And then obviously the guys feel good about that uh, going into their games. The other side of it is that, you know, when it comes to the local market here, um, there's probably been a lack of sporting development generally in the UAE for many, many years until probably about 10 years ago, there was a big government change. Um, so with an emphasis on sports and now, you know, now it's great if, if in November every year they do a 30-30 challenge so everybody's encouraged to do 30 minutes of exercise every single day for the month of November um, even even in companies so there's a big shift towards that but the problem with that is that obviously when you take it way back these guys haven't been exposed as children in the first 10 years of their life to gross motor skills they've not played um, cricket and tennis and all these multi-sports to, to develop that long-term athletic development in that phase so, you know, all they've really done is probably roll the ball out on the playground and that's it. So actually when they step into the building athletically, um, there's quite a lot of work to do with them, um, which is just, uh, it's just interesting really that, that this, it's a different culture and it's something that would be commonplace to us over there in the UK, but isn't here. Um, and, and that kind of links into our, our rehab model as well, because I see a lot of ACLs here and the incidence of ACLs is through the roof. Um, now, whether that's because there's artificial surfaces here more than, more than grass, because there's not too much grass. Um, but I personally will put it down to this, uh, this shift and this lack of motor development in their, their early years. And then all of a sudden, let's say 10 years ago, you're asked to, to go and do loads of sport, but you've not developed any of your, your motor skills as a, as a young um, adolescent. Yeah, that's interesting. But I suppose at the same time, with there's such a, a small to no training age, you can get some really good results with those guys as well, can't you? When you do start to educate them around the, the, the bonus, the benefits of strength training and adding some power work in. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's what we've anecdotally seen um across the board with, with our guys um and and obviously then the the knock-on effect of the reputation we're, we're having um but you know it, all it comes down to really is us doing the basics well and just teaching these guys stuff that is commonplace to us over there um but isn't here um so brilliant i did just check before we have got one more question that's come in and it's um more more focused on business to be honest and it'd be interesting it, it simply says any advice for someone setting up a, a business so yeah. what would be if someone's sort of i don't know whether you want to take it that they've been at a club and they're going to just do the same sort of route as you or whether they're they've not been at a club and they're just going to set up from scratch what would be 
some words of wisdom from yourself that that set up? Yeah, I think the two things um, are hard work and persistence. And and obviously, I listen to a lot of business podcasts myself or whatever, and the high performance one that Jay Humphrey does, and these are yeah. you know really successful people on there. And and it's no secret that the common theme comes out that hard work and perseverance will get you towards your goal. Like it's not a linear curve to to get to where we are. And you know, at the same time, we, we try and appreciate the journey we've been on because it, it's been a great one over the last three years. Um, but it's not been without its its struggles um, along the way. And and you've got to be willing to put those hours in and you know, wake up early, work late nights. Um, especially with the client base that we we all want to work with, these guys' schedules are all over the place. They've got a game one day, and then they've then they're off, and then the the day off changes, and you know it is all over the place still. Even though you're you're in an independent uh, you're an independent practitioner, it, it, it's no different in many respects to the the demands of of a, a football environment either, because you're still working with athletes. Um, Best example being tomorrow is is generally our, our off day, but we're, I'm working at the moment with with a, a very good tennis player who's here and he wants a session tomorrow. So yeah. the day off is is not a day off. So you've just got to do what you've got to do uh, to make make your make your dreams really come true. So it's not if you if you want it to happen and want it to to work for you, then you'll you'll be willing to do that and do the hours basically. Brilliant. Now, mate, we'll go on to some of the, uh, I always say quick fire. I need to change the name of this because it's never quick fire. But some of the questions we asked everyone on the end of the podcast. Um, first one being, who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, well, I've mentioned one already. So Steve Megson would have to be there. Um, very, very talented physio, very, very skilled manual therapist. Um, and... Like I said, it was a big pull for me to go and work with him every day at Leeds. Um, you know, I saw it really as a daily opportunity of CPD, to be honest. Um, so, so that would be one. Um, early in my career, I had some great help uh, from Steve Kemp, who's over at the FA, in terms of, and he's somebody I still stay in touch with now. Um, and then I've worked with a number of, you know, very, very good practitioners. Matt Walker, I've mentioned as well. Um, you know, he, he allowed me to to take hold of that department at Cambridge and make it my own and um, and supported me with that. He could see that I had, you know, kind of innovative ideas and, and I wanted to to try and improve things and the way, way it ran. So um, so I would say they're, they're the key ones, really. Awesome. And then what would you say your best strength or your biggest strength is as a practitioner? I would say communication, to be honest. And, um, and, it, and it, it's very important, like we've mentioned, when it comes to how we work. Um, you know, I'm not afraid of picking up the phone and speaking to uh, anybody at the club because it's very important to recognise that I've got this player maybe for four or five sessions these guys see the player every single day for nine months, 10 months of the year. So, you know, as we know, it, it takes a good six to eight weeks to really train somebody properly. So I need to know what they've been doing, what shouldn't we be doing? The underpinning value of our um, business is safe practice. So, you know, you kind of, 
you've got to you've just got to be able to communicate and also now working in this environment with players from Brazil players from the UAE players from Spain I've had Chilean players Italian players English <laughs> it's it, it's crazy it's crazy and and it, it, the communication is probably the the biggest strength I would say and then next one is there any sort of CPD that you've done recently or in recent times that sort of stands out for you that's had the biggest impact so whether it be like a might be a course an article research a podcast like is there anything that sort of stands out yeah I would say the biggest one that's influenced my practice in the last 12 to 18 months is probably the stick mobility stuff um so I was introduced to it by some guys over in Australia actually um and immediately just kind of got that and got got why an athlete would engage with it because sometimes with like the yoga and and different bits and bobs the the compliance at clubs wasn't what it should be even though we were trying to put a good recovery protocol in place um whereas with these things uh, i mean as far as i'm aware they're not they're not widely too widely used in, in england um in the clubs at the moment maybe maybe they are now but a year ago or so um they, they weren't um but player engagement with them is is very, very good um, because I guess the kind of the player feels or the athlete feels like they're doing a little bit more than just a stretch. Um, also, I mean, the results are there anyway. You, you get massive improvements in joint range of motion. You've got synergistic um, muscle firing going on with, with different techniques that are within it. Um, and you know, ultimately proves in the pudding. We use that stuff. I probably use that stuff with every single session um, of my day as part of the movement prep part of the session um, before we go into the activation and then whatever we're, we're doing. So, yeah, there's got to be that really over the last uh, 12 months, I think. And was that like a specific course or is that like a, a certain coach or something that you've linked up with for that? Yeah, yeah. So, so stick mobility are in the UK. I think... Um, the distributor was rock tape actually. Um, I, I mean, we had, I have Mikel Antonio here for some rehab from West Ham and we did some work with him on the stick stuff and he really became receptive straight away. And then I got a call from Rich at West Ham um, who wanted to buy the units, buy the, buy the stick straight away. So, um, you know, the, the athlete feedback is as good as kind of the feedback I, I can give. Um, so stick mobility courses are common practice across the UK. I don't know now with the pandemic, but they are mm. they are common practice around there. So I, I would re highly recommend people to to take that on because it as well it, it goes multi sport with what we're doing. Like we use yeah. it a lot with our golf fitness program and an increase in rotation that can then you know give real benefits to some of our golfers in terms of their um, club head speed and different stuff like that. So brilliant. Well, Antonio's getting some airtime on this podcast. He was mentioned a couple of episodes ago with Andy. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, next one, mate. What would you say? And I think you might have answered this already. But what would you say the most important trait is for a coach to have? For a coach, um, I think to be adaptable. I would say be adaptable, like we've mentioned on this podcast. There, there's various different uh, clients that come to us at different phases of their off season or different injury histories and you know one day your best laid plans might be completely ripped up so you've got to be on the ball and adaptable 
Brilliant. And then this is an intriguing one for me because the amount of players that you've worked with of, of all different experience levels. And like you said, you've the Lewandowski's, and you've got some Premier League players over there at the moment. What, what do, you, do you see any sort of common traits with those players? So the players that have really excelled in their careers, are there any sort of traits that stand out for you that are common amongst all of them? I would say that um, they're, they're relentless in their pursuit of, of being perfect. Do you know what I mean? So um, the nutrition, the, the body fat percentage that they're coming at doesn't really, you know, they don't, they don't have that, um, that two-week binge, for example. Yeah. That just yeah. isn't a thing when the season finishes. They stay consistent with what they're doing. Okay, yeah, they drop their running loads down, but they're still on their injury prevention work every single day. Um, they're still trying to find that extra 1%, you know, the old marginal gain stuff with Dave Brailsford. Um, obviously, I'm working with this tennis guy at the moment and it's really insightful for me to get that um, that perspective. You know, he's 21, he's world number 11. Where does he want to go next? And what's it taken for him to get to being, you know, he was in the top 10 as well. So pretty much 10th best in the world by the time he's 21. And he's telling me, you know, he was out on the court as a kid um, till 2am sometimes, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon for him to be on the court still at 2am getting his serve perfect until it was there. Um, And that's probably something that um, differs from, a football environment. I know it's easier with an individualized sport because you, you're trying to develop, you're trying to work with the the overall training loads of 25 players and make sure some can cope with that, others can't cope with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, coming back to the original question, the the the, the top top guys, what do they do? Um, well, that's what they do. They 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 don't leave any stone unturned. Yeah. No, brilliant, mate. This is class loads in this one again I think people really relate to this because I'm sure there's a lot of people like I said that are thinking about setting up privately and and taking into consideration some of the things that you've gone into there I think it shows that the mindset behind what you've done um, and the successes you've had so far but then that this isn't the end game like there's still there's still more to come and like you said adaption is is really key isn't it and uh, yeah it'll be really interesting mate just to see how things go the next few years I I'll be uh, an interested follower in terms of the work and the guys that you have going over there. Um, And yeah, big thank you for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me, Ben. Cheers. Just finally, Chris, sorry. um, If people want to, if if they're not following you and they want to see the work that you're doing, do you want to just give them the social media links? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, I mean, my private one is um, Chris underscore Elite DXP. And then our business page is Elite Sports Performance underscore DXB. So, um, you know, the, the business page will have the range of all clients that we're working with across the board. And mine will be a little bit more football focused, I guess. Awesome. And that's both on Instagram? Yes, Instagram. Yeah. We're not on Twitter yet. Okay. Awesome, mate. No, thanks a lot, Chris. And we'll stay in touch. Cheers, Ben. Thanks, mate. What's up, man? Firstly, I just want to say a huge thank you to Chris for giving up his time and coming on the podcast. I know he's super busy with the work he's doing over in Dubai and it was amazing to get him on actually to talk through his story and I know he took 
and uh, plenty away from it in terms of actually reflecting on everything he's done and he's doing at the moment. So it's great to see how well he's doing over there. Um, takeaways for me, I think a really important one initially is anyone thinking of setting up by themselves, which I see a bit of a trend going on at the moment. Take the feedback that Chris went into. So he talked about having experience at clubs. So we knew exactly um, what was going on at clubs and the sort of um, their mindset in terms of players going working with private practitioners. He spoke about building trust with players and also a reputation. So he was going over to, to Dubai and spotted a sort of gap in the market of players already going over there, but already had a reputation with players and obviously was then able to grow that reputation, but wasn't starting from literal scratch at the start. And then the other thing, the really important thing he spoke about was having like the safe environment, not only from the unit tied in with the insurance companies and everything he spoke about in terms of the business, but for the fact that clubs have that trust that they're sending you to a practitioner that is safe and is going to um, work responsibly with those players as well. Because that is a really important point from Chris. And he's obviously earned that trust with a lot of practitioners and clubs now, which is one of the main reasons a lot of players go over and, and work with him. So they were my initial takeaways. He spoke about the gap in the market as well in terms of the local players with their lack of strength training. Um, so that was something that he was able to adapt the business and take on clients that he didn't really think about going over in the first place that he'd get too many local players. But I've seen on his on his social media that he's getting more and more local players now, which is great to see. Um, and then he said also about being best in class in the UAE. And I think that's a, that's a really good way of thinking in terms of they want to be the best around. I'm sure there's other businesses that are trying to do a similar sort of thing to what they're doing but they want to be the best around and all these things that Chris has spoke about in the podcast that all leads to the fact that they would they should remain top of the tree and then in terms of working with clubs and tying in with clubs and practitioners at clubs he spoke about transparency being key and in terms of that, it was the fact that the work they're doing, um, how they communicate with the clubs, maybe how they report back to the clubs as well. That transparency is absolutely crucial. It's not just a case of doing things to catch the eye on social media. It's doing things that are effective um, and that clubs can respect. And obviously, you can incorporate clubs' programs if if that is something that they want as well with that transparency. So... They were my takeaways. As always, I'd love to hear from you guys in terms of what you took away from the podcast. Give us a retweet or a share on Instagram and just post on those um, retweets or shares some of the key takeaways you took away from it. Give ourselves at Football Fit Fed a tag, but also Chris, so you can tag Chris at Chris underscore Elite DXB on Instagram as well. So um, go and give it a share because I'd love to hear what you took away from this one. I'm sure this will resonate with a lot of different coaches that um, may be thinking about setting up by themselves or even coaches at practitioners whose players work with private practitioners as well. So it'd be great to hear from you. But as always, huge thank you for listening to the podcast and for all your support with every guest, the recommendations we're getting. I really appreciate everyone's support. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 128.